Hello, it's August 7th here in uh, Central Australia. No, it's Pennsylvania, of course. That's about the worst Australian accent I've ever heard. Welcome to Birkegaard. The writing is of Soren Kierkegaard. Maybe it'd be more uh, accurate to have a, uh, a Danish accent. And I don't know what a Danish accent is. It's probably close to German. So, welcome to Birkegaard. The writings of Sonic Gierkogod. Uh, my grandparents are German. I've talked about that before, so I have a bit of a German accent. I can uh, duplicate because of listening to my grandparents uh, speak English. Okay, so today we're into Chapter 3. We've completed Chapter 2, and we're now in Chapter 3, which is Barriers to Willing One Thing. Uh, the subtitle is Variety and Great Moments are Not One Thing. So... Uh, Soren uh, prefaces this chapter with a verse from James, James 4.8. Now, you may ask, Birker, what is the good? You're talking a lot about the good. Soren talks a lot about the good, but you're not telling us what it is. Well, I would direct you to the book of James. If you want to know what the good is, read the book of James. He will make it abundantly clear what the good is. And uh, it's pretty straightforward. James is very practical. Uh, James is not a complicated book in terms of understanding. It's complicated and hard to do, of course. Um, James believes that faith is important, but works are an expression of faith. So go to James if you are pondering what the good is. He will, he will tell you. Uh, James was the uh, half-brother of Jesus, younger brother, of course. And he was a um, leader of the Jerusalem church. And he's writing the book of James to... The Jews of the dispersion, okay, a lot of Jews did not live in Israel anymore, either because of commerce or, you know, other issues, possibly persecution. So there were Jews all over Asia Minor and also in Europe. So uh, James is writing what's called a Catholic letter, which means it applies to all the churches, all the believers in Jesus as Messiah across the world. Uh, there are books that are written specifically to a, a specific city like Corinth or Ephesus where Paul's taking on some issues in the church and writing specifically for some of the things that church is either struggling with or needs help with. But James is called a Catholic letter, small c, which means it's equally applicable to all people at all times. Uh, and uh, there are other books in the Bible, New Testament, are like that too. It's interesting, I was listening to a Jewish guy the other day kind of making fun of Christians going to the Old Testament and it was a bit of a dishonest discussion because uh, he didn't acknowledge that all the early Christians were Jews. You know, it's like they somehow think that non-Jews created Christianity. We didn't. It was a Jewish thing. That wasn't the majority of Jews, of course. But every every believer early on, for the first uh, moments of Christianity, were Jewish people steeped in the traditions of the Jewish history and law. So anyone who says that Christianity is not Jewish doesn't know what they're talking about or being dishonest. Uh, so, anyway, uh, chapter 3, we're going to get into uh, Soren here, um, kind of reading through this book line by line, sentence by sentence, idea by idea. Now, I would still encourage you to read Purity of Heart is the One One Thing, because I don't get into everything. If I did, I'd never finish this book. Uh, but I'm taking on the big themes. Uh, so, I'm not avoiding stuff. James has or excuse me, Soren has difficult things to say, and uh, I think it's useful to read through him completely and comprehensively so he has an opportunity to say it. It won't make sense if we skip stuff. 
Um, preachers do this too. They call it preaching, preaching through the whole Bible. They don't just pick and choose the verses that sound great. They preach through the whole thing. Because even those good verses are in context with other, other issues that you need to know in order to have a context properly. Because even this verse from James, James 4, 8. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify, purify ye hearts, ye double-minded. So James is being, uh, being very confrontational here. Uh, like Soren, he, uh, he loves people, but part of love is also at times telling people what they need to hear and telling ourselves what we need to hear. Uh, Soren wrote this book, Purity of Heart is the Will One Thing, as a preparation for the individual for confession. And it's not just confession before an ecclesiastical authority. It's confession before God, who already knows everything. We confess for our own good, for our own healing. God wants us to come to him for wisdom, that's what James talks about, but also for forgiveness, and we have to come clean, and then he has promised us that he will forgive us, that's uh, the merits of Christ. Uh, to step back just a little bit, I have a few things to share, uh, this kind of a preparation for chapter 3 here. Uh, last Friday night, I went to go see Buddy Guy, uh, the bluesman, uh, blues guitarist, play in Reading of all things, Reading, which is a small city here in central Pennsylvania. I had tried to see uh, Buddy Guy out in Chicago, he has a club, uh, but he doesn't play except for in the month of January, otherwise he's either off or he's touring. And I tried to see him in February, but he only plays at his club in January. So I was really disappointed because Buddy Guy is a blues legend. He goes back to the classic uh, era of the blues with Muddy Waters and all those other Chicago bluesmen. He was kind of a contemporary of, uh, of Jimi Hendrix, perhaps a little bit older, but they came out of the same tradition. Uh, Buddy's more of a traditional bluesman, but he does have a lot of rock and roll in him. Um, uh, Jimi Hendrix took it to the next level, kind of made it his own. But I really wanted to see this uh, guy. He's 86 years old, uh, still plays great. Uh, but it was kind of ironic that I missed him in Chicago, but I caught him here in, in central Pennsylvania. So that was super cool. I met some friends, and we got some soul food to start off with. We went to a, a kind of a hole in the wall in Reading and had some fried chicken and sweet potatoes and mac and cheese and collard greens, the whole nine yards. And then we went to the show. It was fantastic. So if you have an opportunity to see Buddy Guy, he is 86. He's still touring. If you're going to see him, though, it's probably wise to do it sooner than later because he's not going to be around forever. He looks like he's in pretty good health, but he is 86. Um, so talking about the blues, man, singing about the blues. So super good. I was out in Chicago doing my uh, Drinking with Lincoln, Lincoln on the Verge tour, which is a retracing of Lincoln's uh, train trip after being elected president. In 1860, uh, Lincoln did a tour of the major uh, cities in the north and on the east coast before going to Washington to be inaugurated. It was a close election, and uh, Lincoln suspected and knew that trouble was coming. So he wanted to build some allegiance and some connection with his followers and his supporters because he knew the country was ready to go through a great trial. I, I suppose he suspected it, knew it. He didn't want it, but he was trying to avoid it, but he would not let the South secede, and there was talk of that. And uh, so I'd retraced uh, Lincoln's uh, tour on train, and he uh, stopped a lot more than I did. I just hit the big cities, but I was in Chicago three times. I started off in Springfield, worked my way uh, east through Chicago again. I got down to Indianapolis, went to Cincinnati, came back to Chicago, because Chicago is the hub for the Midwest with the trains. Uh, 
got to Cleveland, hung out, got to see some uh, stuff from Jimi Hendrix at the Rock and Roll Museum. Um, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame there in Cleveland. Weird place for it to be, but that's where it is. I uh, got to Buffalo and then went to New York City, Philadelphia, and D.C. So I retraced uh, Lincoln's train trip. I read the book Lincoln on the Verge by Ted Widmer, which is the 13 Days to Washington. Super great, but I was reading the uh, chapters of the cities before I arrived in the cities. So that was super cool. And uh, hit some craft breweries along the way and met a lot of cool people and made a great video on YouTube. So you can go check that out if you want under Beer Guard. All right, so chapter three, uh, using James 4.8 as our basis. And uh, I want to talk about the blues and being sad and um, difficulties. And Soren definitely was an individual that had melancholy. One of the things that really bummed him out was that during his time that uh, people didn't appreciate him for who he was. Uh, he knew he was, uh, he had something to say. And I uh, was recently scrolling through Facebook and it had those memories, you know, where you can go back and look at what you posted on that date. A few years ago, or 10 years ago, as it may be the case, and I uh, came across this Soren Kierkegaard quote uh, from 10 years ago. So it's August 15th, 2012. Uh, quote, what the age need is not a genius. It has had geniuses enough, but a martyr, who in order to teach men to obey, would he himself be obedient unto death? What the age needs is an awakening, and therefore someday, not only my writings, but my whole life, all the intriguing mystery of the machine will be studied and studied. I never forget how God helps me, <clears throat> and it is therefore my last wish that everything may be to his honor. So this sounds like parting words from Soren at the end of his life, at the end of his writing career. I think it's amazing that he knew uh, that his writings and his whole life would be uh, studied and studied. And uh, there wasn't a whole lot of evidence during his life that was going to happen, but he had faith that God had worked in him and with him to give him something to say that it ultimately and eventually it would come out. And uh, what can I say? He was accurate. He was true. There's plenty of people that are deluded about that, but Soren called it. There you go. So Soren and uh, Lincoln were similar in this way. They weren't always popular in their age, but time has been kind to them because people of good of good uh, opinion have realized that both Lincoln and Soren stood for the right thing at the right time, even if it wasn't popular. Uh, a friend of mine sent me a link. He's uh, living in California now. A friend of mine sent me a link of John Stuart Mill, uh, Chapter 2 on Liberty that's been turned into kind of a graphic novel. Uh, some other authors have taken on John Stuart Mill's uh, Chapter 2 of On Liberty book and kind of put it in more... Contemporary language and on liberty is a part of the goal of the book from John Stuart Mill is to defend the uh, principle of free speech. And this is from chapter two of On Liberty from John Stuart Mill in this most recent uh, graphic novel, uh, graphic, uh, graphic uh, book where they simplify the language and the concepts of it. Men are not more zealous for truth. Uh, than they often are for error, and a sufficient application of legal or even of social penalties will generally succeed in stopping the propagation of either. The real advantage which truth has consists in this, that when an opinion is true, it may be extinguished once, twice, or many times, but in the course of ages there will be generally be found persons to rediscover it, until some one of its reappearances fall on a time when, the, from favorable circumstances, it escapes persecution 
until such head as to withstand all subsequent attempts to suppress it. It's like a fire that won't go out. The truth ultimately will triumph. And so John Stuart Mill is very adamant that there needs to be a free exchange of speech and ideas because that's the only way the truth can be established. And if a person is indeed walking in the truth, they should not fear uh, people contesting it because if it's true, it's going to still be true. And there's times, uh, I think there's three parts. We're either right and others are wrong, or we're wrong and someone else is right, or it's a combination of us both being right and wrong. And I think that's true. Uh, so uh, the purpose of free speech is to winnow that out. So this is the second part of the quote. Opinion on the subject is as efficacious as law. Men might as well be imprisoned as excluded from the means of earning their bread. Those whose bread is already secured and who desire no favors from men in power or from bodies of men or from the public have nothing to fear from the open avowal of any opinions but to be ill thought of and ill spoken of and that it ought not to require very heroic mold to enable them to bear. Uh, so I would say that's true about me. I don't think people can come after me these days and I don't really fear... Uh, being ill thought of or ill spoken of if you're going to be courageous and you're going to walk after the truth uh, there are times that you will offend people and that's just the way it goes and it's a careful game you don't want to offend people unnecessarily you don't want to be obnoxious or abrasive uh, you know i want to be caring i want to be a good listener i want to be compassionate i want to be forgiving i want to be graceful to others as god has been graceful to me but that does not mean that does not mean that we do not have our positions and our perspectives, and I don't like calling them opinions in some way because that sounds too subjective. Because it's, if it's only opinion, then everybody's opinion just just as good as anyone else's opinion has to be based ultimately on some facts. It's not just mere opinion. So that's interesting. Uh, so Soren was willing to be that solitary individual to call it like he saw it. Uh, just some preparation for this chapter. Uh, it's the uh, variety of great moments are not one thing. So Soren starts to get into the evasion of that one thing, the good, uh, that we, we uh, institute and we exhibit all these diversions to get away from standing alone before God and confessing to God our faults, our feelings, and asking for forgiveness, all those, all those terms. And this is for the Office of Confession, it's a preparation. This book is a preparation for the office of confession. Um, I don't dodge the difficult passages in this uh, book or when I read Sorn in general. I think uh, a lot of people like to pick and choose what they like from Sorn. Uh, he's very memeable. He has a lot to say. But it's important to put these, uh, these memes and these quotes in context and to understand uh, that Soren is dealing with a lot of very, very difficult issues because he's dealing with issues of the soul and eternity. And these are weighty and serious issues. These are not uh, frivolous things. Uh, so I'm not dodging the hard sections of this book, which means I have to go line by line and sentence by sentence. Now, I still encourage you to read the book because uh, there's a lot I can't deal with in terms of the details. But the major themes I will certainly take on just because it's difficult doesn't mean that we're not going to address it. Um, it's like when somebody preaches through the Bible, a preacher or a pastor, they don't avoid the hard verses. And preaching through the Bible basically means you take the Bible um, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, and you preach through it, which means that you will 
hit the verses that you love and maybe some verses that are uncomfortable or bother you or call you out or confront you. And it's important to put everything in the context of um, what the chapter says, what the book says, and what the entire Bible says in order to understand that verse even specifically. Uh, so you don't want to dodge the difficult parts. Left to ourselves, uh, if we didn't know better, uh, just, just think about diet for a minute. We'd all eat donuts and you know, uh, nachos and uh, things that are not necessarily healthy but taste good. And we would avoid the things that don't necessarily always taste good but are good for us, things like broccoli. Now, you may love broccoli. If you do, good for you. That's a tremendous uh, characteristic that you have because you will eat healthy and uh, things like broccoli or cabbage or Brussels sprouts, all those sulfuric vegetables are extremely good for us. Uh, but, you know, it offends our taste sometimes. And I've come to appreciate things like broccoli and cabbage and whatnot. Uh, but I don't love it. I eat it because it's good for me. So we have to do that with the Bible. We have to digest the whole book, eat the whole book, and digest the whole book. Uh, there is a place for uh, prosperity. There is a time uh, for pleasure and even popularity, I would suppose. One of the ironic parts about this podcast is you want, and I want it to grow. Uh, so I want a, a group of people who are solitary individuals, but a group nonetheless of solitary individuals to support this podcast and to, uh, for it to become popular and for it to have an influence and for it to be persuasive. And I'm looking to be that third voice that's conservative, but not hard right. Uh, you know, I've worked a lot in reality and working with kids for 35 years has taught me a lot about uh, it's important to have principles, but it's also important to be flexible and realize that not everybody comes from my perspective and to have that pluralistic uh, mindset and to be persuasive rather than pushy. Uh, it's a hard thing to do, but I understand that. So one of the ironies is, is that I enjoy, I enjoy prosperity. I enjoy uh, pleasure. I enjoy being popular. But what Soren would tell us to do is not to hold these things up as idols. And the example that I wanted to come up with as we conclude is I've talked about this before. I have a garden out back in this uh, last uh, season right now. And to now as I've been growing what's called the Three Sisters, which is a combination of corn, beans, and squash. And they all do different things to the soil. And they kind of work with each other. And the beans climb the corn stalks. And, you know, when they're, when they're climbing as beans do... And uh, recently, the corn's been falling over. Uh, it's a combination of stor uh, storms and winds and rain. But also, the, the heads of corn are heavy, and it, it cracks the stalks. You know, it's really weird because I would think the corn would be strong enough to bear the fruit, and it doesn't. Uh, like, um, almost every one of my plants out there has, has cracked. The stalk has cracked because of the weight of the top end of the corn. And I would make that illustration in terms of like pleasure or possessions or popularity, um, position, um, prosperity, all those P words, you know. It's like the head of corn that's too heavy for the stalk and it, it causes the stalk to break. Whenever we make things that are temporal, eternal, we're putting too much weight on the stalk and our, our soul will suffer or break. And Soren really, really wants to get at it. He wants to strengthen the, uh, the stock, the soul of a, of a person so that whether they have adversity or prosperity or pleasure or pain or popularity or unpopularity, that they're still strong in terms of their soul, that they're still in the will of God, uh, regardless of the external uh, consequences or the rewards or punishments. 
And so Soren's writing for a courageous reader. Uh, he's saying hard things, but he wants to make them stronger in their souls and be more eternally minded versus temporally minded. And don't be that corn that falls over. And I can't figure out how this corn has been able to survive like natural selection and not be strong enough to bear the corn that it, it, it gives birth to uh, through the stock. So I'm puzzled by the whole thing, frankly. But anyway, uh, that's it for today. We will take on Chapter 3 and succeeding podcast. Thank you for listening. I take it as an enormous encouragement that you uh, take time to listen to this. So I uh, appreciate it, of course. And we will see you down the road.